Hello and welcome to For The Record. This is episode 29 and we've got a, a Halloween special for y'all. Uh, my name is Sean Tierney. Thanks a million for joining us as always. With me is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Zach Buggy. That's meant to be like the organ sound effects. Like <laughs> Halloween episode of the TV series. You know what I mean? <laughs> How you doing, bro? I'm good, man. I'm fucking good. I'm, I'm, I'm traumatized after doing the listening for this particular episode. Um, but I'm, I, I, other than that, I'm pretty good. How about you? I'm good, man. I went to see my all-time favorite band, Alexis on Fire, for my fourth time last week. Fantastic, Brixton. In Brixton Academy for my second time. Nice. So yeah, it was like fourth time seeing him live, second time in Brixton. Second time this year. Second time this year. And that is, I will say, um, and like I'm nearly like, who am I even saying this? Because Lex and Fire are my favorite band. But, and I do understand that like when you, I mean, if you go, like when a band play live, it's a business. I mean, so like when people go see them, like they have to treat the crowd every time like it's their first time. So there has to be essential songs that are there, obviously. This could but be anywhere in the world, will forever be in their set list. Nearly always finishing with it, or yeah. happens by the kilowatt, and yeah. Boiled Frogs is always there, the Cardinals. Northern Young Cardinals. Yeah. They, like, they have to play those tunes. Yeah. I, I fucks with that, I get it. I, I mean, I would have lost my shit if, if, in a bad way the first time I saw them if I didn't get those songs. So. Absolutely. That's what I always think about with people bitch about Metallica, you know. They finish with Enter Sandman, you're like... That could be someone's first Metallica gig. Yeah, you have you, to treat your yeah. crowd like it's their first time because it is Absolutely. nearly always at least someone's first fucking time. Hundred mm, percent. And like, no one's asking you to go again and again. And this is why I'm saying I, but because I'd seen them in such close proximity to the Slam Dunk Festival back in June, and they played like a twelve-song set at Slam Dunk, and then they played a sixteen-song set here. So. Apart from them playing like three more songs off of the new album, which was which was dope to hear some more cuts from Otherness because I, I think it's a great record. But I, it, it was literally the exact same set. And I was oh. a little teeny bit disappointed because, and this is me being super nitpicky now. And like, I mean, still a fucking great time. Got too drunk, uh, way too drunk. Uh, was, was like, had had like alcohol poisoning hungover on the Sunday and literally like said to Norma, you know, I'm, I'm hungover. Like when I was 19 and didn't know how to drink and would just be like, rah, 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 rah. and that's kind of how I was drinking. Cause I was like, Alexis, I'm fire. Wow, my babies. So yeah, I had more fun than every other person in Brixton combined. I'd say that's good. But, but one final nitpicky thing was that they, a couple of months ago did a 20 year anniversary show in Canada in their hometown for their self-titled debut mm. and Ethan, they played it in its entirety. And since then, every nearly every night of their tour, they've been dusting off a really deep cut that they haven't played since they first toured that record. Mm -hmm. And every time I've seen them live, they've played one to two, if not three of the same staple kind of songs they've always played from the self-titled. And I had seen other nights in this tour, they were dusting off really deep cuts like Adelaide and Polaroids of Polar Bears. And as much as I love 44 Caliber Love Letter, my fourth fucking time hearing it. And it was the only song that Infamous have titled. And I was like, really? Yeah. You couldn't yeah. give me just like one little change up. So, and, and that's totally on me. 
but I, 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 I think I put a bit too much credence into this. Like, I mean, I saw Turnstile two nights apart back in February and they switched out a fucking song. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's tough apart. though, like, because like I, you were I, saying... I'm the villain here, like, I this is not yeah. a problem, this yeah. is my fucking problem, just disclaimer, like. Yeah, I, I man, I get it. Like, there's sometimes you go see a band for the however many times, like, you know, even the second time you see them, you're like, why aren't you playing that B-side that I love? You know, and you're kind of like, yeah. you know, you're, as you said, you're the villain, like, you know, but I get it, yeah. man. But um, other other than those little nitpicky things, a good night? Oh, it was a great night. Great good. night had by all. I don't necessarily remember how I got home, <laughs> but, but but I got home. But and you got home. And that's, that's the main home, thing. I got home and that's the main thing. That's the main thing. Are you one of are you one of the people who um spent all your life savings on a Blink One Eighty Two ticket? Yes and no. <laughs> I managed to get one of the last tickets before they turned into like crack cocaine prices. Nice. Okay. I okay. I actually got up that morning at like ten to ten and was avidly waiting. Even though, you know, when like fucking ninety percent of you is telling yourself you're not, you're not going to get one, yeah. so don't get your hopes up. You're not going to get one. You've seen them twice with Tom DeLonge already, so like, it's not the end of the world. You're probably not going to get it anyway. But does that ten percent? No, fucking no. Maybe I want to go. I want to go though. Yeah. And fucking story so far supporting them too. Yeah. My my dream gig, and. Yeah, didn't get a fucking ticket, obviously. They were like magic gold dust gone because of fucking bots and Ticketmaster being cunts. Oh, Ticketmaster are just the They're worst. the devil. They're the fucking yeah. devil, man. They're, anyway. they're, they're like the KKK. Fuck them. They're the worst, <laughs> man. Oh. But I, so I ended up totally like giving up after about an hour and a half and was just chilling then. And like trying to ignore it and just think about, you know what? I got Alexa on fire next weekend. That'll be dope. And then I just happened to be on Facebook or something later and, and, you know, checking comments like a glutton and everyone else was just moaning about not being able to get a ticket. And someone on just one comment thread said, I just got, and someone was like, oh, I'm not paying a hundred quid for a nosebleed. And in the O2, it's like ground floor. Mm-hmm row one section one rather and then section four and section four is the fucking nosebleeds mm. i've never sat in nosebleeds i never will and when i had looked all i could find was like section four row z c yeah. 399 yeah, 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 yeah. for 150 quid oh, i just thought man. fuck this it's but then crazy. someone said oh i just got section one seating tickets ground floor tickets not happening and i kind of knew they weren't going to happen. And to be honest, and that's I saw Blink, yeah, I saw Blink twice in my late teens, early 20s. So I've been in the sweaty pace of mm-hmm. adolescence screaming my heart out. I'm fucking, I'm going to be 31 next year. I'm I'm happy to sit down at my pint and vibe out this time around. But I, I mean, the boys are old as fuck. So I mean, like, it's cool for me to sit down. So I ended up running back to Ticketmaster, met- metaphorically, and... Ended up finding, just, just said best available and fucking couldn't get this happening at half 11, but at about yeah. quarter past four in the day, I hit it and it gave me a section four ticket again and I was like, for, for like 99 quid, with including booking fee. And I was like, fuck that. I don't want section four. Try again. And I got a section one 
for 80 something pound so it came to 99 pound but i mean a standing That's a ticket, success story man yeah before all the tick before ticketmaster ended up just gouging everyone the the going rate was meant to be 94 for a blink standing ticket which would be 106 with booking fee mm-hmm. and then it was something like 87 seating ticket and then 99 with booking fee so i got my section one normal seated view ticket for the the the, the asking price excellent and that's that of, is a success man given the horror stories that have been going around about well, these out tickets, of morbid, man. out of morbid curiosity i went back the next day just to see and they same back to back to a row a section four row z ticket for about 250 quid so i must have gotten one of the last specimens of genuine tickets you could buy I uh I had a I had a bit of a success myself this morning. Your oh. boy got a Paramore ticket at fucking. I got the artist pre-sale ticket. I got it for seventy euro. Not even the money you're spending. You're not even sterling. I got a seventy euro Paramore ticket this morning. So I'm fucking psyched, man. Next April I get to see Paramore again. So I'm delighted. That's crazy because I legit said to myself a couple of days ago when they announced that tour oh I wonder if it'll be the exact same shit show that happened for Blink because uh, that's what I was dreading that's what I thought was going to be ahead of me but I think like realistically you know Blink are a much bigger band than Paramore and but, Tom but, is back and so Tom is back and everything but, um, deal. yeah um, um, party supporting yeah so hopefully they'll be decent and play some good music I hope Mm-hmm. Even yeah. though, yeah, even though I that bassist and drummer can't cut it at all, like, know, fact, that's another story, another time. It's kind of, I, I think it's kind of ironic that we're talking about like two of the sugariest, poppiest, e-boyest fans of all time, uh, for such an extended period of time on this fucking episode. <laughs> I think we're purposefully trying to avoid the the topic at hand, Terry. I think so. Let's, I, I and so. I, I have been celebrating listening to a shit ton of Blink, getting back into them. It, it, super excited to relive my childhood. Yeah. In, in a year's time, but I also have found that in preparation for this podcast, like October Halloween, I'm a big horror movie fan and I love to watch scary movies mm-hmm. and horror films. And, and I have all October been watching loads of horrors, rewatching loads of movies, and I've got two horror movies that are meant to be super fucked up that I can't wait to watch the weekend to celebrate Halloween. I'm all about it, man. And I'm so desensitized to horror in a good way. Mm-hmm. But and just disclaimer, folks, we're not talking about music in horror movies or our favorite horror soundtracks today. No. We're talking about our favorite horrific albums and the, the scariest albums like imaginable that we believe we've ever listened to. And two things I realized. One, my list, I listened to way too much fucked up shit because it took yeah, me so long yeah. to figure out a list. And two... I am far less desensitized to scary music as I am to scary movies. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? That is, that's a point I was actually, I was honestly going to bring that up. I, I, I'm like entitling in, in bringing this topic to you. I said, let's do our three scariest albums, but it's like, scary doesn't even fucking cover it for some of it it's like disturbing and upsetting and horrendous and horrifying you know and yeah it's that's going to be part of the discussion actually and something i'm really looking forward to actually getting into but like you said i i I was kind of shocked by like how much i wasn't shocked at how much music affects me but like how the power of music to disturb and horrify and scare and you know 
be vile and disgusting is is pretty amazing to be honest and um it does something to me anyway well, obviously i mean we started a fucking music podcast like you know music is our thing like you know what i mean but like it's music is fucking scary when it needs to be man and it can really take you to some dark places as we're going to get into but um i think that's a really interesting point that you made i find like scary music for want of a better term is much scarier than horror movies yeah, much I more affecting can... than horror movies, perhaps. And and it, and poss- it's po- most likely because you know we. I feel when you listen to music, you, you because you're, it's going right into your fucking ear canal. You're kind of and you're if, if especially if it's lyrical, you really you're internalizing it a lot more than watching a movie from afar on a screen. I think so. I think there's a lot more cerebral effect without trying to sound fucking pretentious as shit uh, by listening to something that's scary. As opposed to watching something that's scary, I could imagine it's the same thing. Like listening to audiobooks are probably a bit more intense if you close your eyes and listen to an audiobook than a horror audiobook than watching a mo- horror movie. I haven't really got into audiobooks, man, but I I I think oh, it might either. be it might be something I should get into because of um, I listened to this um, dramatization of a Batman story on Spotify and I fucking really enjoyed it. Like I thought it was really good and I'm big into podcasts and listening to podcasts, not just shouting on myself on podcasts. So I think it, it might be something that I should actually get into is these audiobooks because a lot of people, you know, seem to recommend them and stuff. But um, yeah, there's something about music. Like you said, it's that direct, it's directly into your ears. It's directly at you where you can like kind of protect yourself a little bit. You can hide behind the sofa a little bit from, you know, horror movies and stuff like that. But there's no escaping with the music, is there? No, I, I will say right now, because as always with any list that you and I share, there will be a couple of, I'm going to call them dishorrible mentions. Dishorrible mentions, yeah. Um, When it but comes to that... You could, Sorry, before you continue, I'm just going to say you're talking about music affecting you. I'm going to throw off one of my dishorrible mentions right quick. An album we reviewed a couple of episodes ago, Chat Pile, God's Country. I, when we, I was really getting into that record for to record the podcast with you, I literally listened to that one day at work at my desk. And by the time GrimmySmokingWeed.jpg ended, I actually had to like get up and walk outside I got up and I, I I literally did something like <laughs> yeah man like I honestly fuck out for a minute I honestly have Chatpoil in as one of my honorable mentions because that album is scary I don't give a fuck who you are that album is scary and it's the mix of fantasy and reality the mix of you know we talk about Michael Myers' mother and also the homeless problem in America fuck Jason Voorhees' mother Jason Voorhees' mother my apologies and, um, and yes the the, the homeless and the crisis. homeless crisis but like fucking that is an affecting, scary record, dude. And like, this is from both of us, like kind of masochistic bastards. We've been listening to music, like at the evilest shit we could get our hands on for such a long time. Um, I w- I'd like to just start the discussion before we get into the honorable mentions even. Um, there's some albums that I feel I want to mention that they don't scare me now, but back in the day, you know, I found extremely affecting. And yes. the best place to start for all of that is, and this isn't even personal to myself, but can you imagine, can you imagine being around when Black Sabbath released Black Sabbath? How fucking terrifying that must have been. Yeah, because... 
There was nothing like that. There was nothing. The Beatles. And and, and people, people got scared. I've said it before. There's that section in I Want You, She's So Heavy off of Abbey Road where the Beatles basically invent metal. And Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath almost just took that that section that re- and it was almost like Tony Iommi said that that's a fucking genre of music there yeah and just kind of plucked the ideas and influences from that and ended up turning yeah I could I could yeah people with their fucking I'm gonna to totally go in on people from the seventies with their bell bottom pants and their high waist belts and shit and their big yeah. mutton chops I, that must have scared the living bollocks it must have been off. terrifying man. So when you when you bring that when you boil that down to a personal level, the first record that I remember really scaring me was the debut Corn album. Oh, you fucker! I legit thought you were gonna say Slipknot or Iowa, and then I was gonna jump in and go Corn set title for me. Then, like, mm. the, I have Slipknot down here as well, but the first one that scared me was the debut Corn album because when you hear. And this is something that actually is relevant to the albums I'm going to mention in my top three. It's the emotional rawness. That's what I find so scary. That's what I find the most affecting thing in music. And when I heard a song like Daddy, when I was whatever fucking age I was, like 10. Too young. You were too too young young to hear that. That shit is really, really scary. And obviously, because it's just familiarity. Like, you know, I know that record inside and out it has nothing that's ever going to surprise me ever again but at the time man that record scared the living shit out of me i literally had a buddy in primary school i must have been about 10 9 fucking 9 and just after kind of discovering talagans not lincoln park Papa Roach, and he lent me the self-titled album and mm. said listen to shoots and ladders mm. So I brought it home, listened to Shoots and Ladders, freaked the shit out of me because I was hearing these kids' nursery rhymes sung in this really horrible way. And then I threw the album on start to finish. And I know you mentioned Daddy, the closing track, but for me, I distinctly remember the song that really... And again, it probably definitely was way too young to be exposed to an album of this kind of fractured fucking vulnerability and Mm. pain and shit. But when I got to Clown... yeah and like hearing how like utterly like despairing Jonathan Davis's performances on that track and and just the and then getting to the, 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 the F expletive track that I yeah. don't want to feel comfortable saying the title of I mean that and, and I already had those feelings of being bullied and like not being understood as yeah. a as a little punk fucking metaler kid in, in primary school with chubby with curly hair so I mean when I heard that song at like that age, it, it, it genuinely scared me and I couldn't fucking, and you can't, That's no, the thing you can't ask a parent to help there. You just no. kind of you sit in your room and you go, oh, fuck. And, and you, you sit there petrified. Like, yeah. I, still, like, I go back to those tunes and I'm like, how did I listen to them at nine years old? But like you, you even like think like, uh, like this is something I shouldn't be listening to. Yeah, you know, I shouldn't. This is wrong. You know, I shouldn't be hearing this stuff. And like, it's that affecting, you know. And I think that, like, I'm not saying that Corn aren't, you know, the first Corn album isn't still a scary, moving record and stuff. But it doesn't affect me in the same way, obviously, because, you know, it couldn't because I know it so well, you know. And but, we're um, big boys. Yeah, we're big boys now. <laughs> we're not babies. Um, 
So like some I, of these albums today though oh, make me man. feel like a fucking baby. I'm gonna say that right now. Man, like uh the other album I'd just like to mention as well, but I don't want to focus on it and I don't want to champion it for obvious reasons, is you won't get what you want by daughters. Um it's a terrifying. It's a terrifying. It's it terrifying. Is terrifying. It's genuinely terrifying. It's undeniably brilliant. But yeah. given given the recent news, uh, I I don't want to be telling people go listen to the daughters, go support daughters. That's not what we're about. I'm just saying that for the scariest records of all time, you can't not mention. You won't get what you want by daughters. I don't think. I don't think your list is complete without it because At it least- is genuinely terrifying. Illegally download the album, listen to it, to, and then send some PayPal to the other three heart, unbelievably talented musicians in the band, and then send a bag of shit to their front man. And yeah. that's about it. That's I agree all, with I all of that. About that. Yeah. Um, so, is there any um, honorable mentions? Because my honorable mentions, I'm actually not going to focus too much on. As in, no, I'm, I only, I'm only going to skate over them, really. But um, if you want to just knock out a few there. Yeah, so I have to just I know I, it's it's a running gag I say it every episode I name drop Portrayal of Guilt <laughs> Man, I am Fucking actually no. I said it I said it the last time you did it but I've got to start it I've got to start inserting a sound effect uh, Portrayal of Guilt Glaxo <laughs> Yeah I literally yeah I just love Portrayal of Guilt and yeah. they They're a sick scared man. the living shit out of me Terrifying. and the last year they put out two albums, uh, their second and third full lengths. We Are Always Alone and Christ Fucker. Yeah. And both of them sound as bleak as they are. Yeah. And yeah, just raw black metal, hardcore punk, screamo, industrial noisy fury and just heinous lyrics focusing on fucking horrible shit. And Matt King's got the raspiest vocals ever. And um, they're just brief nightmare fuel for like really angry moments. And I love them. Um, just a little peek behind the curtain. We did a kind of a, a pilot run through of uh, of albums that we loved from twenty twenty one. Twenty one. And you obviously talked about Betrayal of Guilt a lot. And I said to you on that pilot that no one has ever heard except us, um, that I just I found them really hard to listen to. Like I found them just because of whatever was going on, you know, the isolation of fucking COVID and all that stuff. Mm. I f- I you know, not being in a particularly happy headspace myself, I found that listening to those records was really challenging. And it's interesting because it's been a running joke on the podcast. I've actually revisited We Are Always Alone a few times um, since. And it's, man, it's fucking outstanding. It's brilliant. But, but horrifying. Like really, really terrifying. And I will say it's funny you say that about not being in the right headspace because I actually, like because I love horror movies and things, I found the two albums coming out in 2021 incredibly cathartic and very much like helped me when I'd be in really bad headspace and really fucked off. And like I own both of them on vinyl. I remember putting on We Are Always Alone and I just closed my eyes and give it a deep listen. And some of those really intense, horrible moments I found quite, you know, it helped me to kind of expel kind of negative feelings by really just deep listening to like how horrible the tunes are. That's interesting because what was actually going wrong with me at the time was just real deep anxiety. And I was trying to avoid anything that would induce anxiety. And yeah. my God, do those records induce anxiety. Whereas oh, yes, they do. If I was feeling like angry or sad, I can see how they would definitely be cathartic rather than 
life ending <laughs> you know oh yeah i can definitely see that man yeah definitely no, fucking no, definitely, really, really good there are moments on that record where like, you they they they're on their virgin on giving like giving you a panic attack yeah <laughs> it's fucking but Absolutely. so yeah portrayal of guilt the, we are always alone and christ fucker two terrifying records to sink into and on a similar note but kind of different because matt king vocalist and guitarist from portrayal of guilt did guest vocals on this band's recent EP, and, and I'm going to talk about their album before that, Knock Loose, A Different Shade of Blue, and their follow-up EP, A Tear in the Fabric of Life. That, to me, is some of the scariest reimaginings of metallic-influenced hardcore I have ever heard. You know, it's funny. I was considering mentioning A Tear in the Fabric for this actually because in conjunction with that animated video they released with it yeah it's a short film short film pretty much like it's that shit is scary man i wouldn't really say that i found different shade of blue scary or kind of as such you know but a hundred percent back you on a tear in the fabric fuck me that shit is wild man yeah even a tear in the fabric of life begins with the someone getting into a car and the sound of the car driving and you can hear the radio on in the car and it's some Phil Spector song and then you hear the car crash and this and the timing of the car crashing is tied into the opening chugging riff and so essentially the album the EP begins with you feeling like you're after being hit by a fucking car and yep. and and then the, the the lyrics deal with dying and losing a partner and going into the afterlife to find them and it's fucking terrifying yep. and it's just so unhinged but i feel a tear in the fabric of life is i mean sorry a different shade of blue is the preceding album is just as terrifying there are moments on that album where brian garris the vocalist i mean lyrically just sounds like mm an utterly broken human and the and the intense rawness of how he shrieks and the, and just the utterly oppressive riffs how heavy and punishing that album is i mean by the grave yeah uh in the walls that bit at the end when he's just screaming over and over i'll hide you in my walls and in, and the, the way the lyrics range from like kind of anecdotal things about like murder you read about and stuff and broken families and then there's a lot of real self-deprecating you know um mistakes like fractures and mm-hmm. and so i wander south there's so much self-hatred on it and i just it feels like a really horrific window into someone's psyche that you're not meant to see and it almost kind of turns it back on you at your on your own darkest days i hence the title a different shade of blue i i find a different shade of blue and a tear in the fabric of life for 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 a band who are as popular and are popping off as much as knock loose are and they're almost a meme or big knock loose pits and fucking mm. like one of the heaviest bands in hardcore knock loose have some horrific scary unsettling gravitas to them that I think people are only slowly starting to become aware of. And like, they are no longer like the group, the fucking chug-a-lug fucking beat down uh, laugh track lads. I, they're a I, serious I found, prospect, man. Yeah. I, I found a, a different shade of blue was 
what turned me on to them and was like their awakening and a tear in the fabric of life is just even more fucking frightening. I mean, if you Absolutely. want to get your hefty, groovy breakdowns on and be scared shitless, if, you, if, if you're one of those guys who likes a hardcore Halloween, <laughs> then fucking knock loose, man. Put the shits up you, for real. Absolutely back to you. Now, okay, I got three more that I'm going to... I've got a few more. I'm going to bash through them really quickly. Okay. Silencer, Death Pierce Me. Uh, the basically the first album that coined the term like depressive suicidal black metal. Uh, not a lot known about the vocalist. It was a two piece kind of operation, and then they had a session drummer. But the vocalist, it, he, he never really released his real identity. Uh, album cover, he's covered in kind of bandages, and it, 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 there's a lot of rumors and you know hearsay. But the main narrative goes that. As soon as the album was finished recording, he, uh, uh, you know, of his own accord, uh, checked himself into like to be sectioned to get mental help because he he just was in a horrific place. And when they recorded the album, you talk about Corey Taylor cutting himself with the broken bottle recording Iowa, like nearly all of your man's vocal takes were done while he was just carving into himself and cutting himself. And so like it, it is the sounds of a really broken human in a horrible state. And then your quintessential black metal kind of almost black gazy kind of sounds. Mm -hmm. It came out in about 2000, 2001, came out about 20 years ago. But yeah. And then, and then they kind of started a whole wave of suicidal depressive black metal where it really focused on the, the, the nihilistic aspects. But it's kind of always comes back to silencer and death pierced me. And that's if you if you find your black metal isn't scary enough, then fucking check out that record. It's horrible. Cool. Um, cool. Then... I, w I definitely want to mention. I definitely want to mention Stalag. Yeah, I, it's one I was going to mention mention as well. Why don't yeah. you talk about Stalag a minute? Uh, Project Misanthropia was the one I was going to mention. Um, that's literally on my. That's what I have on my list. Project Misanthropia. Yeah, it's um, they're trying to recapture the feeling of being inside the gulag, and it's like. It's just horrible noise and it's really, it's really, really tough to listen to. Um, it's like found music, like found sound kind of thing interweaved with a little bit of like fucking jazz piano here and there. And yeah, it's, it's tough, man. It's tough to fucking listen to. Um, you get like, it was recordings of patients in mental asylums, um, of them screaming yeah so they musically like, yeah. like you said musically it's like atonal black metal and yeah. ambient jazz condensed to a harsh noise yeah and then they somehow got access through like someone who they knew who worked in a, a mental ward hmm. and worked with uh there's a lot of rumors on both sides about this that they took advantage of these mental patients and lied to the to the people in charge and said that it was a scream therapy thing and then provoked them but a lot of a lot of the more reliable sources say that there was a couple of, there was a handful of patients who agreed to take part in what was essentially scream therapy i actually read that some of those patients said that it really helped them yeah there's uh, even yeah. there's even one there's an instagram page i follow that has drawings of a lot of Stalag's artwork that are done by one of the vocalists. Okay. So, but at the end, so even, so it's great that it was therapeutic and stuff, but like, let's, let's not, 
let's not ignore the fact that it is definitely somewhat exploitative in the sense that it is, yeah. it's yeah. people with severe mental health issues shrieking and howling as authentically and harrowingly as you can imagine over black and black noise essentially my main issue with it though is that it is really affecting for the first bit of it but it be, kind of becomes this this blunt instrument of just noise it kind of it loses its power for me because it drags on a bit if that makes sense you know well, it's that's no- the literally, literally the reason i put it in a, this horrible mention is that yeah. i'm i'm not like every album i've mentioned so far dear listeners I, I totally recommend if if you like you like a lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast and you're into metal and punk and mm. dark fucking shit, bro. Then, then, then I really recommend every album I've discussed so far. But this, th- this is not like this isn't for fucking listening to. This is to check out for ten minutes and go, oh, Jesus Christ! Yeah. And then literally, because trust me, as a pretentious fucking music nerd wannabe, I have sat down and been like, Do you know what? I'm going to do the whole thing. And I get about 25 minutes I've, into it at most. And I've, I've just, never I've done zoned out. Home. I've checked out. No, it's impossible. It's, it's just, impossible. By the it's end horrible. of it, it's an endurance test. But... It is. Abs- that's a fucking perfect summation. But definitely Stalag Project Misanthropia, if you want to subject yourself to if you want even really 10, horrible noise. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to yeah. fuck with yourself for a little moment <laughs> yeah. over this spooky week yeah. of Halloween, check out some Stalag and, and be like, oh, and then Absolutely. move on with your life. Um, another one that, again, not really saying listen to this in full or, or maybe try it out if you've ever got like a fucking day to do it or you want to take the slow approach. But there's an album called Everywhere at the End of Time by The Caretaker. And he's a, I can't think of his real name now, but he's like, he's an electronic music producer, essentially. And he did this project a couple of years back, Everywhere at the End of Time, which was six albums that he released over a six-month period to illustrate time passing. And the whole point of the album, the whole project, was to audibly replicate Alzheimer's. Oh, fuck me. So the first volume of the six is like this ballroom, authentic sounding ballroom music. that, And it goes on for like the whole album's like that. And then the next album is just like the exact same thing. But it's just, it's fading and echoey a little bit. And each, prod, as the th- six volumes go on, the sounds of the ballroom uh, start morphing and slowly dissolving and disintegrating into these unsettling, ambient, atonal, harsh kind of sounds. And it's meant to audibly show the memories fading away and i've done it like in pieces and i found i found it i found it really affecting and i i've i've watched people on youtube who've done like the whole taking a saturday and done the whole thing and it it's meant to be one of the most harrowing experiences you can put yourself through listening really horrible, and yeah. yeah and it's it's just, but but I think I I think your man wrote it because of like something happened in his family or some shit. I, you can look into that yourselves. But mm. I don't want to go on too much. Not about the caretaker. But if you find yourself in in a more avant garde kind of headspace, not looking for something punky and really fucking frightening, or you're just curious to kind of read more about it, the caretaker everywhere at the end of the time is often like considered online 
anyway, one of the scariest musical experiences you can find. So as we're talking about that, I felt I had to give it a dishonorable mention. That's really and interesting. Finally, I will give a shout to an album I listened to today. It's not as terrifying as I remember it being the first time, but this might come to what we were saying about, you know, you get used to something. So people might be listening to this and be like, Bucky, what the fuck are you on about? This is fucking horrible. But there's an album called Giles Corey. That's one I was going to mention as well. Yeah. Why don't you take over a second? I think Giles Corey is a project from Dan Barrett from Have a Nice Life. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just basically a tome to darkness and depression. It's incredibly impenetrable. It's really bleak. It's really unsettling. There's an accompanying novel about a fictional cult leader, I think. Um, it's it's really really heavy going. Like it is fucking tough to listen to. Uh, it's really deeply that, sad. I don't think that cult leader is fictional. He is. I'm a silly silly boy. I've just looked it up, and yeah, Robert Voor is a fictional cult leader yeah. who has yeah. just basically been the underpinning fake character throughout both Have a Nice Life and Charles Corey's material. But, but it's. He's kind of a narrative device that Barrett then uses to tell yes. his own stories about depression and, you know, suicide. Being influenced by a fictional cult leader, essentially, yeah. to yeah. inspire personal lyrics. But mm. the one thing I think you, you, you didn't mention about the Giles Corey record is at, at, fucking, at its heart, it's a blues album. It's it's a folk kind of it's record. It's a folk yeah, blues it's a, record. Yeah. It, and that's yeah. the thing. It's well, These songs are about seven, eight minutes and they are influenced like heavily by post-rock and ambient drone and just industrial kind of gloomy kind of soundscapes and field recordings. But at the end of the day, underneath all the fucking hazy ether of noise is these simple solitary like acoustic pluckings and 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 Dan Barrett's really delicate vocals really just and and like the and the layering and the echoing gives it this this choral feel, but it's almost like this fucking hellish choral feel. And yeah. I mean even the and I, I, all I'll say is, like, the first time I listened to the record, there's two songs in the album that are the two most, for me, upsetting and unsettling. And they, and they even, they, they're, they're fucking elevated by their own titles, which are, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody's ever going to want me. Nobody's ever going to want me is the one. Yeah. That that's yeah. fucking, yeah. That Giles Corey record is harrowing that's yeah and and i and i kind of i almost didn't i almost i did put it as a horrible mention because it's less halloweeny scary and it's more like you need to go and fucking have a long cold bath after you need to lie down in the bath cold and think about your childhood for a while because it's it's really it's a really macabre unsettling delicately serene nightmare yeah. of, an, of an album we've gone on a bit so i'm just gonna fucking smash through my uh honorable mentions um i want to give a special shout out this horrible mention this horrible mention sorry uh, uh a special shout out to gray britain by gallows purely oh. from a point of view of just its nihilistic bleakness it's yeah. so 
bleak. Um, I think it's a really punishing listen. It's not scary as such, you know, so it doesn't quite qualify, but it's so bleak and it's got this nihilistic edge that really More adds... arresting. Re- exactly, yeah. Um, a couple of mine, I just have to mention some of the obvious ones. In Utero by Nirvana is a fucking scary record. It is a, the darkness that is present on that record, particularly when you think of what's to come in Kurt Cobain's personal life is pretty fucking terrifying. Um, similarly... I will be that guy. Oh, sorry. I will be that guy to say In Utero is at, at its scariest when you listen to the Steve Albini mix. Absolutely. 100%. You just hear 100%. the three bodies in that room and Kurt's fragility that he's barely hiding. Yeah. It's it's immense. Um, on a similar tip, Dirt by Alison Chains is... It's scary in, like I said, a lot of mine are scary from an emotional point of view, um, not necessarily orally or sonically. It's just the emotion. When you think of how bleak and devastating dirt is and how much of a, like an ode to fucking sadness and heroin abuse, it's it's really a lot. It's really heavy emotionally. I find, I find dirt to this day, unlike the corn record, I find dirt to this very day and emotionally upsetting brilliant it's one of my favorite albums of all time but it really it sticks with me and it it affects me to this very day um the holy bible by the manic street preachers is like nihilism on a level that gallows could only dream of i mean fuck me some of the lyrics on that record are are terrifying um particularly the ones you know it's all penned by Richie James Edwards, who has gone missing. No one knows where he is. They never found a body. There's that whole story, all of that stuff. And somehow the singer for the Manic Street Preachers had to make lyrics like, um, you know, too too heavy to die, too light to stay alive when it came to talking about anorexia. Like, you know, um, talking about cutting off a baby's cock on a song called Of Walking Abortion. I mean he had to make them into hooks for a commercially successful band. But the Holy Bible by the Manic Street Preachers is, it's a masterpiece. It's very, very, very frightening because of how dark it is. It's, it really is a person's unique insight into the fallacies of the world. Um, That's mad now, because I've never, ever, 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 ever considered Manic Street Preachers to be nothing more than just a fucking pop rock band. Man, I'm going to have to do my Halloween homework. The Holy Bible. If you listen to the Holy Bible and have your lyrics out in front of you. I like to do that. Man. Man, oh fucking man. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to do that and come back to you. The Holy Bible by the Manic Street Preachers is, it's some of the darkest, the darkest lyrics I have ever heard. Like, as in, violently like (laughs) four of the first five songs are called if white america told the truth for one day its world would fall apart of walking abortion she is suffering an archives of pain um track seven is called four stone seven pounds which is about the anorexia yeah i eat too much to die and not enough to stay alive i'm sitting in the middle waiting 
Jesus. Like, days since I last pissed, cheeks sunken and despaired, so gorgeous, sunk to six stone. Lose my only remaining home, see my third rib appear. A week later, all my flesh disappears. Stretch taut, cling film on bone, I'm getting better. Like. Fucking hell. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> the medics, man. <laughs> fuck me. Like, scary, scary shit. How the um, fuck do you, how do you make, how do you make a fucking hit record with that shit? I don't know. I don't know, man. It just shows I, you, man. it just shows you that the, the people who, like, put up the money, like, they don't, they don't fucking live, read the lyrics or listen yeah. to the lyrics. This song's catchy. We'll put this on the radio. It's well, like, I think I'm it was, dying. it was really their next record that they, that they had the bigger singles on. So. Oh, okay. I, it's I'll an early you, one, so. The Holy Bible, man, is terrifying. Um. And my last and the one that was closest to getting into my top three is Hide the Kitchen Knives by The Paper Chase. Um, no the, clue again. The Paper Chase is the brainchild of producer John Congleton, who has produced Celine Dion. He's produced Pink. Like, he's, <laughs> one, of, he's one of the... Man, Hide the Kitchen Knives is this weird kind of post-hardcore kind of indie kind of jazz kind of something record and it's, it's kind of music is it it is music it's musically really good oh, but the genre is kind of it's kind of it's yeah man it's it's a lot of it then kind of seems to be about him talking about ways to murder his ex-wife or current wife or yeah it's it's really dark man it's really scary. It's fucking. It sounds amazing because he's an amazing producer, but fuck me, it is. It is. It is tough. It is Hide tough. the kitchen knives by, by the, the paper, paper chase. chase. Yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. finna yeah. definitely check that out. It's another one I think you'll be you'll be banging to actually. Um, nice. So just quickly before we get into our top threes each, because it is coming, dear listener. I know we've been going on already, but our top threes are coming. What I decided to do was include records that mightn't necessarily be sonically terrifying. So I don't have any like black metal, you know, I don't have any death metal on on mine. I have included records that I find emotionally terrifying. One of them physically terrifying, as I'll discuss, and yeah, just devastating devastating terrifying records that was my kind of they were the that was the way i made my decisions uh, how about yourself i kind of drew a line between scary albums and soul crushingly depressing albums because i feel like that's almost that could be an episode in itself for another day i mean there was there was a couple of albums that i thought oh maybe and then, you know, my, my, I had that other side of my brain say, this isn't a spooky, scary Halloween album. This is... This none is of these just... are... None of mine are spooky. They're definitely scary, though, as well as being devastating. Yeah, so I think I went more... I'm glad you didn't pick metal, because I I picked some fucking horrible metal. Oh, so, cool. Okay, that's what you went with. Okay, cool. That's but great. I also I, I I didn't just pick metal, but I I went with stuff that sonically as well as lyrically terrified me. Awesome. I left stuff like like I didn't I could have fucking just 
just literally said one album and left the podcast and that would have been a crawl up to me. Yeah, by, but Mount yeah. by Mount Deary. I could have just said that and said, listen to that and ruin your whole, the rest of your fucking 2022. I don't think that's scary though. No, it's it, just so crushingly it depressing. Is, it is devastating. So if, if you found a balance between that devastating and scary, then I'm I did. very intrigued to hear. That's my stuff, what I went my for. Stuff, cool. I went for stuff that is musically fucking harrowing and then when you look into the lyrics and you look into the backstory of the albums they're even fucking worse than the music sounds okay that's what i went for awesome fuck it that's going to be cool okay let's hear some of the sonically devastating as well as lyrically terrifying albums you've got um your number three my number three is going to seem like a bit of an obvious choice and to anyone who's like, oh, that's a bit obvious, Buggy, I'm going to say, fuck you, because it's kind of an essential one to mention. And it's, I think it stands the test of time because it's kind of like people fronting on an old horror film. Like the, I know people who watch The Shining that have never seen mm-hmm. it, and they turn to me and go, it's not that scary. I'm like, number one, it fucking is. And number two, can you imagine what that shit did to people in 1979? Absolutely. And I, I think that's the air came out. I could be wrong. Don't at me. And... I feel that this album is still utterly terrifying. And I could have picked a later album in the band's discography. Can I guess what it is? Of course you can. Is it The Mysterious? Yes. Yeah. I I was, I I swear I was going to mention that in the honorable mentions, but I I had a feeling that, and you're, you're absolutely right. This, this has to be mentioned. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. This is this had to be in the top three. So this, this is my number three. Mayhem, De Mysteries, Dom Satanis, their debut full length. hundred percent. Back you, back you all the way. And thank you, because I could have said Ordo at Ko, oh, which which is, is terrifying. It's fucking terrifying in its own right. <laughs> it's really unsettling. It's I love that. Really record. scary. But I chose De Mysteries because of all of the background to it and all, all of the kind of components musically on the album because I mean in a nutshell I'm sure most people listening know the Mayhem story but like that album that time capsule of that debut full length by the time they finally got to lay down those tracks you had Attila on vocals who had replaced Dead who had committed suicide so Attila came in at last minute to basically perform cover vocals on that album because they hadn't recorded any of the proper studio versions with Dead, even though the songs were fully written, fully toured, hence bootlegs like Live in Leipzig and Live in Jessheim are so popular because you get to hear the, the, the proper OG versions of those songs that they wrote with Dead on vocals. And Dead, that vocalist, I mean, I'm sure most people know by now, or if you don't know, he at a very young age, had a near had a, a death kind of experience. I think he was dead for a couple of seconds, was resuscitated, and he ended up developing this condition where he thought he was dead. And he would sleep with soil in his bed, and he had a dead crow under his bed and in his pillowcase, and he was obsessed with death and was full-on convinced he shouldn't be on earth. And that completely inspired his lyrics and his performances, and he would cut himself on stage and bleed, and the lyrics are all about wanting to return to the soil and and they and they very much kind of they foreshadowed a lot of what is now very 
like I mentioned Silencer Death Pierce Me earlier and a lot of that depressive black metal that all kind of comes back to dead because I mean a lot of that black metal that kind of started around that time in the, 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 the second wave of the Norwegian scene I mean Emperor and Dark Throne and Gorgoroth they were all talking about grim fucked up horrible shit but dead and like really blasphemous kind of subject matter but dead really focused on the the kind of Norwegian landscape and the Scandinavian landscape and the snow and the frost and and the freezing moon and the funeral fog and all that shit and really how how that kind of balanced his depression and it, it was very metaphorical it was very much like that album is so intrinsic to so much of the the black metal lyricism that's depressive and suicidal and nihilistic and so much of it that's very about the kind of the landscape and like that's such a lyrically influential record and one of the kind of proto like second wave black metal records that really defined that sound and that's why it's still so musically powerful but by the time it came to record that album dead had committed suicide the the guys had found him in the cabin that they shared and practiced in and he'd his arms were covered in cuts and then he shot himself in the head and the suicide note said apologies for the blood or apologies for the mess. The knife was taking too long, which showed his flippant attitude to taking his own life. And Euronymous, the guitar player, his fucked up behavior at that time, taking pictures of dead, putting while while he'd been killed with his fucking head blown off and like literally put that as a bootleg cover and took pieces of his skull and made them necklaces for the band and like completely because at the end of the day and this is something as well you learn as you grow up when you're like 12 13 and you hear about mayhem you think oh my god these guys are scary monstrous psychos and then you get older and you realize they were fucking edgelords especially euronymous most of all and they were kids they were kids. They yeah. were edgelord kids trying to one-up each other and be cool. And it all got fucking out of hand. And you had Euronymous trying to be, trying to cultivate this image of controversy because they felt like metal, modern metal was like posing and they wanted to be, and they were posing in their own fucking right with their corpse paint and all, but they wanted to be this outsider scene. And Euronymous, that lad definitely had some fucking, he was a kid, but he definitely had some questionable fucking morals deep down in him because Absolutely, he clearly... Yeah. He saw Dead's death as an opportunity to lean into the controversy of that mayhem we're garnering. Mm-hmm. And Necro Butcher, ironically, the, the member with the grimmest name, was like, fuck this. I'm like, like our vocalist just killed himself. I am Who not. Who said that? Up. Fuck them. Fuck yeah. them. <laughs> Drunk in every interview, good old Necro Butcher. And Necro Butcher just opted out of the band because my voc- the vocalist just fucking killed himself and you're taking pictures of him and making us skull necklaces. This this is meant to be a band. It's meant to be art, but we're, we're like, it's meant to be a fucking facade. We're not living this shit. And with that, they got in another local musician named Varg Vickerns, who we all know is Burzum, the one-man black metal project who was really prevalent around the same time and was putting out records on Euronymous's label and through his store Helveta so Death Like Silence was the label so I mean when it came time then basically because they were putting out Burzum records and then they needed a bassist and they kind of said to Varg who went by Count Grishnak you know do you want to play bass on the the Mayhem record all the songs are written but Necro Butcher basically bitched out because Dead killed himself and you know I made skull necklaces and he's a wuss so Varg joined, and then they got Attila in. 
to replace Dead and they recorded the album. And not long after the album was recorded, most people know, Varg ended up murdering Euronymous in cold blood. And when, when yeah. <laughs> And over even now, I I mean I've heard this story like so many fucking times. I've lit, I've read the book, I've watched the movie, and all that, and even now, it's so ridiculous. It's, it's so ludicrous. fucking out there, man. It's like, just yeah, ah. you can't even write it. So I mean, the fact. So then you wind up with fucking, <laughs> yeah, cause, so yeah, Euronymous gets like fucking stabbed to death. I should be Varg. laughing at these people dying, but like no, it's just it's so ridiculous, man. It's just it's like something. If you watch this in a movie, you'd be like, "This is a bit fucking naff, isn't it?" It's a bit yeah. OTT. Like that would never so, happen. Yeah, you ended up having fucking Varg stab Euronymous to death because Euronymous was apparently bragging and going on that he was going to torture Varg, but it was mainly because fucking Euronymous wouldn't sell record Varg's album because he closed the shop after a lot of controversy under the advice of his parents and Varg was like oh Euronymous is just a poser I'm real black metal and he, he listens to his parents and yada 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 Varg stabbed Euronymous to death and Varg went to fucking jail for church burnings because like I didn't even mention that but we all know so all the boys were burning fucking churches. I don't even think they loved a good church burning. So they did. Yeah, and there's even the the cover on Dame Mysterious Dom Satanis uh, is like a church that they either burned or were planning on burning, or I think it was Varg was planning on blowing it up. It was one of them. Yeah. They either burnt down the church and took a picture beforehand, or it was the church they were planning on burning down, or it was the church Varg was planning on blowing up. But it's a picture of a church, and you're looking at that album, and when you listen to that record. You essentially are listening to lyrics sung by another vocalist because the person who wrote those lyrics killed himself before he got a chance to record those lyrics. And all of those lyrics deal with him wanting to kill himself and feeling like he's a corpse walking amongst humans and no one understands. So those lyrics are being sung by a secondary vocalist because the vocalist who wrote those lyrics about wanting to kill himself and return to the earth did that before he could record those vocals and all of the guitar parts on the album are recorded by the person who was murdered by the person playing all the bass parts on the album yep I think you've summed and, that up and then you just have the drummer blasting behind them all and, and all of that does add up to a really really fucking scary record man it is and that's the thing because I mean like let's be honest I mean it is a very much it's early 90s black metal it's the it's the real arrival of black metal as we know it the tremolo picking the blast beats the lo-fi production the harrowing nasty impenetrable indecipherable vocals but there's still something about the mysterious dom satanus after all these years when you hear those riffs and you hear the 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 fucking like the, number one like Attila is just an immense vocalist and he's just and he's got this horrible aura to him so hearing him sing Dead's lyrics and knowing the the context of those lyrics that it's it's an it's Attila singing the lyrics written by Dead before he died and reading all those lyrics about how like finding peace in the earth and wanting to like and feeling so like a zombie that no one understands and. And then, and then then talking about like the fucking like Necronomicon and all this shit. And then that knowing that all of the rhythm section, all of the guitar and all of the drums, that's the sound, that's murderer and victim playing side by side. And like you, when you know that context and you listen to that record in full, like no matter how I have it on vinyl, no matter how many times I go back and re-listen to it, I hear 
like it sounds so naff, but I hear the fucking evil aura that's around that record. That project is steeped in true horror. Like, I think what really stands to the kind of lasting power of that record is that if by some miracle you've avoided the Netflix adaption of the story, if you don't know anything about the story, the album is still scary. Just based on the music, there is an aura to that record that few records could ever even approach. And I I think as well, it's got to be in the conversation for the greatest black metal album of all time. Not just because of its legacy and its story and the fact it is so scary and it's so terrifying, but it's just fucking, it's good as well. Like it is fucking, it's great music. And that's the thing. Like, let, 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 let's just like, you know, top, top three, number three entry, Mayhem, Day Mysterious, Dom Satanis, Halloween, spooky as fuck album. But I ain't going to front like Life Eternal doesn't have one of the catchiest metal riffs of all fucking time on it. No, not my bad. Not Life Eternal, sorry. Pagan Fears. Dan yeah. Like that, that fucking riff on Pagan Fears is immense. Mm. And man, by the time you get to Attila's operatic switch on the closing title track, that's fucking terrifying. That legit sounds like a fucking a, de- a demon monk up on the mountains of fucking Norway just invoking God knows what invoking Cthulhu that that album is scary as fuck and then when you read the and then once you know about the lore and then you go back to it, it that album will never not fuck no, with me man never so never. that's my I, number never. three entry I think it's a fucking brilliant place to start as well and like I said up top absolutely has to be in here has to be mentioned somewhere in this episode. I'm delighted it's in one of our top trees. Um, my number three is completely different. No surrounding fucking lore or murders or anything that I'm aware of. Uh, it's an experimental hip-hop album, I guess. Um, it's... The reason it's number three is because I think there's a lot of character work in this album as in it isn't real life stories it's a person making a performance and playing up to something but also the reason it's in here is because of uh, a story that i'm going to get into uh my number three is there existed an addiction to blood by clipping yeah i knew it i knew um, it um man clipping are a band i know very very little about um, only I remember you talking about them years ago and it just didn't sound like something that would be my bag. You know, I'm not I'm not well up on my hip hop or my experimental hip hop or any of that stuff, but I listen I got to a them. ticket to see them next month, but Oh, unbelievable. Can't unbelievable. Wait, yeah. Um I was listening to a podcast and they were speaking about clipping and I was like, Oh, that sounds like pretty cool or whatever and then I n- never checked it out and then I kept seeing it on end of year lists and I was like Okay, I'm going to give this a listen. Um, first, look, I'm just going to say it. It's a fucking masterpiece. Like, it's amazing. It's an amazing record. Um, its musical landscape is this harsh, industrial, kind of experimental noise. There's some really subtle, just repeated notes. Like, the first sound, the first musical, proper musical thing you hear in this album is just a repeated piano note. And somehow it ends up being a horrifying claustrophobic 
head fuck of a song. It's but do you not do you not notice that 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 opening track, nothing is safe. The opening minimal piano line is meant to be an interpolation of Halloween. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it it all ends up as this, you know, this frightening, as you said, an interpolation of of the theme song from Halloween, and it's just the whole album, man, is is powered by this tour de force performance from David Diggs. He's the the front man, the the main rapper, the MC, really, the He's MC, the rapper, I the guess. The producers, like yeah. you know, uh, the stuff he does in it. He, but he plays this really cold, dead-eyed serial killer type person throughout the whole record in various different guises, and I find his performance genuinely terrifying. But when. The reason that this is really included in here is because I listened to it and I was like, fuck, this is good or whatever. And I was really getting in on it. And I didn't, I found it quite unnerving and unsettling and claustrophobic, but I didn't think it was that scary. But, dear listener, I was traveling to a gig. I was going playing a gig one night. Um, It was probably late November, early December. I had this on and I was like fuck this is really good um my journey was about 30 minutes about 15 minutes into my journey i had to pull over because i was having a full-blown panic attack this album gave me a panic attack i i couldn't function anymore i had to literally stop pull over my car and get up and start taking deep breaths outside of the car i couldn't move my heart was beating out of my chest um I got to run for your life and the show in the middle of this record and I I couldn't take anymore. I was I was having a full-blown panic attack because of this album because of how claustrophobic it is, how intense it is, how much it builds the the sinister just nature of it. It just got it I all listen- got too much for me. I used to listen to this at my desk at work when it came out by every fucking day. Jesus Christ. Man up. It was just something about it, man. It just, <laughs> in that moment, it just, it. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. It was too much. It was too Can intense. Can I ask, do you not, I nearly, it's funny, I'm glad you brought this up because I very, I came very close to using clipping, but I almost wouldn't be able to say there existed an addiction to blood without saying visions of bodies it's, being it's, burned. Because they're almost because they're sister albums. I, it was, I was going to mention it because you, as you said, you kind of have to. They are sister albums. It's an accompanying they, piece. It's an extension of their but existence. They actually, they actually did it all at once, and we're yeah. going to put it out all at once. And the label were like, "Lads, you, you've got two fucking full lengths on your hands. Give yeah. it like a year." So I mean, but they, but they definitely they purposefully put them out a year apart on October, like for Halloween, Absolutely. and they yeah. have literally yeah. said because. Davy Diggs is like so hyper lyrical and very narrative. They made a conscious decision for these two projects, these two albums, to to basically embrace horrorcore, that ignorant type of hip hop that's all about horror movies and inspired by horror characters, and mm-hmm. but use their really strange, as you said, industrial, harsh noise influenced, expansive, experimental kind of sound, but to channel these these horrorcore influences and these mm-hmm. nods to old horrorcore kind of hip hop, but what what I think the thing is what I love about it is that he David Diggs to me you know he 
because a lot of the album, like as you said, is he's embodying different characters and coming from the point of view of different people. But so, I mean, there are tracks that are very on the nose, especially on visions of bodies being burnt, you know, say the name is from the point of view of Candyman. Yeah. And, you know, 96 Nev Campbell is about like a badass boss bitch who's a final girl. Mm. So there are, the, but then what I think is very, so clever is the fact that he juxtaposes those horror kind of songs, you know, about, you know, demons and gremlins and, and classic horror movie slasher characters. But then like the opening track on their existed in addiction to blood, uh, nothing is safe. That's about a bunch of lads in a trap house getting killed in a drive-by. And yeah. he puts yeah. that next to like, yeah. it's in much, in much the same way that we spoke about with chat pile. It's yeah. that mixing of fantastic, fantastical fantasy, unreal horror with real life tragedy and real life horror. And yeah. it's just, I find it deeply moving, deeply affecting. And as I said, it once upon a time brought on an actual real life panic attack for me. Uh, I think it's a masterpiece of fucked up experimental songwriting fronted by a genius level frontman. I I I couldn't agree more. I personally prefer Visions of Bodies Being Burned. I think but... I prefer that as well. But purely because this was the one that caused me to have a panic attack, yeah. I felt it was more appropriate for today's episode. But that and... is my number three. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna yeah. My number two. I'm a bit I'm a bit thrown because I actually had I've had like two different metal albums that I really kind of want to throw out and I I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'm going to, I'm going to have, I'm going to have like a two part number two. Uh, Cause my part one has to be my part. My number one has to be my number one. Okay. But uh, what I'll do is I'll throw in a dis horrible mention to in the middle of my top three. Cause it has to, I'll be, I'll be annoyed at myself. If I don't mention this record dragged into sunlight's debut hatred for mankind. I just really want to quickly say that album takes the ugliest aspects of Death metal, black metal, grindcore, sludge metal, and fucking harsh noise and ambient drone, and just mixes them all together into a clusterfuck nightmare of an hour about songs about how the human condition is the worst thing that ever happened to planet Earth, and that we all deserve to like burn in a flaming aurora of hate. And yeah, the opening track, Boiled Angel, it's just the lyrics are just repeatedly another uh, another cunt in the ground, uh, pound into dust. Yeah, yeah, hey, uh, yeah. Well, and and to tie into my last one, when I saw Mayhem live on the Day Mysterious Dom Satanis anniversary tour, Dragged Into Sunlight supported them, and I have never felt more worthless or hopeless in my <laughs> life after paying money to go to a concert that I chose to go to. So yeah, but as much as I love Dragged Into Sunlight and that debut hatred for mankind is just utter fucking hell. It's like full of hell if instead of their songs being a minute long, they were 10 minutes long. That's the best way to put it. But the album, I feel, that's more intelligently scary. That's more cosmic horror-y. Interesting. I really want to put my number two as ad nauseum, imperative, imperceptible impulse. Another throwback to the, to the long forgotten pilot episode. Yes, 
one of my favorite, favorite top 10 albums of last year, 2021. I have it on vinyl downstairs. And that album is fucking, it's terrifying. And, and there's no, I don't have any, there's no big lore or context for this album. This is simply an Italian progressive death metal band's second full length. And it's like there was, I think there was like a six year gap or something. Yeah, six year gap, 2015, their first album came out. So six year gap. Their lead guitarist and lead vocalist is the producer and engineer, and he's incredibly influenced by Steve Albini, and he's like obsessed with dynamic range. And when they recorded the record, he felt that so much death metal and like modern extreme metal is so overproduced and punching in and Pro Tools and all that digital shit. He wanted nothing to do with. So the album is recorded proper old school Steve Albini style. Everything's mic'd up in a room. The band learned to play together in tandem. And when, and I know that sounds like a pretty obvious thing that all bands do, but when you listen to this album, it makes no sense that four human beings, four men could stand in a room together and make this music happen like at once. Like, I know we talked about like Imperial Triumphant Spirit of Ecstasy a couple of episodes ago, and that's technical and mental and shit, and it's well produced. But man, and I mentioned that Ad Nauseum, it reminded me of Ad Nauseum at times. But the Ad Nauseum record, they said in their like promo piece for the record, they said that the two biggest influences were Steve Albini and his production techniques, and then a slew of classical composers and i i know fuck all about my composers but i know that stravinsky was one of them and a bunch of composers that he found really interesting and influential that didn't believe in repetition and believed in like a piece moving on top of itself and that that's kind of what you get you get this technical cosmic br- brutal progressive death metal record that continuously eschews any repetition and climbs on top of itself with these cascading riffs and these like Morse code blast beats. And like I said, because the album is so raw and so naturally produced, you're literally, you, they even say it in like the bio about the record that, that there might be some fluffs in there and some human flaws. And they wanted to add that to the organic kind of caustic nature of the record you hear them you hear the drums struggling to keep up with the frantic riffs and you hear the riffs shifting and moving on top of each other and you hear the fucking the bang and the horrible squelching low slap of the bass and the vocals are just this raw jagged almost Attila inspired low growling howl and the, the lyrics are just it's like reading Lovecraft. Uh, like, and I don't get, again, you know, one of those things, it's an Italian band and your man's got a better grasp on the English language than I do, but it's all just, you know. You know that's <laughs> Is, isn't that just a kick band. in the teeth? Like, <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, I don't know half of these words. This is your second language. Bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you yeah. mean, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, off the top of my head, some of the song titles, uh, and th- these are English, you know, Subspecie Eternitatis, uh, inexorably ousted sente, uh, fucking the title track, imperceptive, imp- imperative, imperceptible impulse. 
And like I said, it's just this cosmic nightmare. And and but you can't. I I'd I'd be hard pressed to show this to. You could show this, and this is going to sound so pretentious, but you could show this to like a fucking uppity composer or music lecturer or something who would scoff at the mention of Metallica and show him a song off this album. And they they would not be able to refuse how compositionally like ridiculous it is. It's but it's not. And I know that might be much for a lot of people. It's it's like Gorgots and Necrophagist. And but this isn't like this isn't tech debt. No, that's, you know, different. No, it's not like like fucking stab wound. It's not that it's, type of tech death. It's, it's powerful. It's, like it's like a vanguard mm. progressive. It's all the pretentious shit. It's a vanguard progressive technical death metal with blackened influences. But I mean, the album literally takes these like fucking prolonged like almost post metal dirges for like a minute and a half, two minutes of it, and then they'll build back on top of each other with these fractured riffs. And it, the album, it, it makes no sense. I, I don't know if I was a musician, <laughs> like, I don't know how you can. How, number one, how the fuck do you write that shit? And number two, I don't care how good you are, how fucking long would it take you to learn one of the songs on this thing? I'm, it's actually ridiculous, but the songs make sense. Every time I listen to them, it's not like everything's just a jumbled mess. I I know when the I know when the fucking the rap rapid fire blast beat's about to return, and I know when the reeves, the riffs are going to interweave and interlock, and then there's going to be that shimmering cascade. And mm. the the tracks make sense, but they are utterly frightening. They they legit to me sound like the the heavy metal equivalent of of like a H.P. Lovecraft novel. It's the sound of cosmic horror in metal form. And I, 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 I just love it. Like Yeah, it's 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 brilliant and it's terrifying. Um I just want to shout it as well, uh, for those of you who are into the artier side of things, Google the artwork for fucking ad nauseum imperative impenetrable impulse. Imperceptible impulse. Imperceptible impulse. It's absolutely gorgeous. The artwork is amazing for it. When I got it on vinyl, I like found myself just sitting there, like listening Looking to it, like it. staring at it for like fucking half an hour. Yeah, like, oh, no, the, the artwork is amazing. And yeah. that's my number two ad nauseum, imperative, imperceptible impulse. If you want to tech deathy Halloween. Um, my number two is a bit like your number three in that it's possibly an obvious one. Um, but for me, given what I've spoken about, uh, that I think that, uh, emotion and raw emotion are Can the... Can I guess this one? Uh, if you want, you might not... I, uh, yeah, go for it. I, I could be wrong, but you, because you guessed my number three, I'm just going to see if I can guess your number two. It's not named after a state in America. Nope. Oh fuck! I, I I was near nah shit. I thought it was gonna be Iowa. No 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 no. I I did consider Iowa, but I think a bit like what we were talking about. You're a big co- boy now. A little yeah. bit, you know. I think Iowa was terrifying at the time, definitely. Um, but we're talking about a classic album by anyone's kind of standards. I think this is a very widely known record. Um, it's about a descent into total self destruction. I, my number two is The Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails. 
Fucking um, shout. What a shout. And the reason I find it so scary is that, and this is probably saying a bit more about myself than I would like to on a podcast that other people might hear, but it is I can relate to a lot of the self-hatred in it. Um, I thought you were going to talk about your heroin addiction. I was like, don't be <laughs> mentioning that on the podcast, Tony. Jesus. No, not that. I'm not going to tell everyone about my heroin addiction. Fucking hell. Go man, go man. Um, All right, we'll cut that yeah, out. Remember cut to that cut out. that out. I will, definitely. Right. Um, but the... Uh, not as much anymore, thankfully, but I've definitely gone through periods of my life where I could relate to all the lyrics on this about absolute abject self-hatred. And this is one of those ones that it's so familiar to me. I mean, I, I know this album inside and out. I can't, I can't be without the downward spiral. The downward spiral is a part of me. If the downward spiral wasn't a part of my life I would be less of a person the downward spiral is beyond important to me it is it's one of the greatest pieces of music ever written but it's genuinely terrifying even still um, I love the fact that Closer is now a club anthem when it's all about hating the fact that you're into masochistic sadistic sex um, you think like the level of self-loading on this album like I mean the song titles I suppose Mr. Self-Destruct just to kick us off um, I am the voice inside your head and I control you I am the lover in your bed and I control you I am the sex that you provide and I control you and I am the hate you try to hide and I control you I mean it's 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 scary and it's upsetting Um on Piggy, he says, nothing can stop me now because I just don't care anymore. Um, Heresy, he sung. Sung, sorry. Not, nothing can stop me now because I just don't care anymore. Sung with the fucking swagger of a lounge singer. Yeah. He's like, he, it's always, yeah. he's like so fucking happy about it and like, yeah. don't got a care in the world because I fucking hate myself and I have no like positive emotion toward myself at all. Yeah. So I'm going to destroy myself because it's great. I'm like, the, only he, only Trent Reznor could sing such nihilism, deliver such nihilism with such haunting oh. swagger. Like. Oh, we're going to get to Trent Reznor. <laughs> 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 um, on Heresy, the third track, it's anti religion um he flexed his muscles to keep his flock of sheep in line he made a virus that would kill off all the swine his perfect kill him a kingdom of killing suffering and pain demands devotion atrocities done in his name just a little sample there of good old trent march of the pigs uh again like all the pigs are lined up I give you all that you want take the skin and peel it back now doesn't it make you feel better it's like ah, oh, I just uh, want to see Nine Inch live again now. Nah, man. Man, Fuck the sake. best fucking band, like the Amazing. best fucking band. Uh, closer, like I said, I want to fuck you like an animal. I want to feel you from the inside. I want to fuck you like an animal. My whole existence is flawed. You get me closer to God. Um, we could go on and on and on about the lyrical couplets on this record that are just devastating. Um disgusting depraved horrifying terrifying um i the repeated refrain of i do not want this 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 um like i am a big man yes i am i've got a big gun got me a big old dick and i like to have fun 
held against your forehead and I'll make you suck it. Maybe I'll put a hole in your head, you know, just for the fuck of it. Like, there's nothing nice on this album. No, it's the sound of, uh, it's the sound of an incredibly, incredibly heroin addled musical genius before he had the ego to realize that he was a musical genius, which kind of made him a bit of an arse, but, but he's kind of calmed down now, but it's the sound of, it's the sound of a young genius killing himself with heroin and lashing out at the, basically the excess of LA where he was living and being surrounded by the music industry and basically just hating society and hating the industry and hating sex and hating every aspect of the success that his art was garnering and hating himself. Yeah, and most um, of all, it himself. It's, the, mean, it's it is it's the it's the sound of heroin addiction and self deprecation in, in its rawest form. It's, and it's a reason it's such a popular record, but it's so fucking harrowing. Still, it's so harrowing, man. I think that, and it's summed up by none by no song that more powerfully than hurt. I was going to say hurt. you can't. Like, if you're going to talk about a Halloween album, I mean, like the album that closes with Hurt has to be a fucking Halloween album. <laughs> like, I mean, I think that people have kind of, you know, y'all must have forgot, you know, like just think of the lyrics for Hurt. It opens with, I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. Like, just that in itself. Then you get the needle tears a hole, that old familiar sting. I try to kill it all away, but I remember everything. And it's, I've seen Nine Inch Nails three times live. Each of those three times, they've played Hurt. And each of those three times, I have been a sobbing, convulsing wreck at the end of Hurt. I think Hurt is not only one of the greatest like metal songs ever written, it's just one of the greatest songs ever written, emphasised by the fact that an, another genius like Johnny Cash can take it and use the same lyrics for the most part, changes a couple of little bits and pieces and makes it an incredible ode to getting old and regretting some of your past decisions in life and everything. And like you're, it's, I think Heart that- is a true masterpiece and it was written, as we talked about, by a heroin-addled, self-hating genius. And the way it finishes this album leaves me broken in an unbelievable way. I mean, I honestly, I'm on the verge of tears as I speak about this record. This album, I can't sum up how important it is, how much it terrifies me, how much it scares me, how much I love it. Um, The warm embrace of... Trent Reznor and the Downward Spiral is something I will never, ever not want in my life. And even though it scares the absolute shit out of me every time, I can kind of be like, oh, I, I kind of know what he's talking about here, you know. Um, But yeah, I, I, I don't really know. I could talk about, we're going to talk about the Downward Spiral at another time for a very, very long time. But is there anything else you, you'd like to say about it? No, but I just, yeah, I two things. One, I think... Hurt is hurt beautiful in the fact that like the album is so like dark and dingy and and it, it like it, it's a perfect balance of how to make industrial music accessible but keeping all of the dank horrible na- nature of it and by the time you get to hurt there's almost there's a cathartic feeling 
to the fact that it's it's so delicate and serene and beautiful. But at the same time, by the time it's kind of those last final piano twinkles are fading out and you hear Reznor just doing the on over the piano, like it's the almost, down, down, yeah, down. that those cards are just at yeah. the end. It's just so, and you but and it's kind of like. But it's almost like you need it because after the real delicate, you, you, it's almost too fragile. No, no pun intended. Yeah. This is fragile, but um, it's almost you almost pine for the, the aggression and the nastiness and the sex and the, the, the de- everything again because this vulnerability is almost it's too overwhelming and because of how like, devastating it is. Exactly. Yeah. And then I also think the, the just the immense thing about heart as well is as you said. The fact that it went from a young man's heroin addiction ode to an an elderly man's regretful ode about getting old yeah. and, and 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 looking back on the things he didn't do right, and the fact that Reznor could create a song that could be reimagined that way, you know, people credit Johnny Cash with that, and loads of power to Johnny Cash. But that 100%. by crediting Johnny Cash, you in, that comes back to again to Trent Reznor that a young man idol off his brain of heroin could write a song mm. that could be reimagined by one of the fucking all time greats. Then and now Reznor is one of the all time greats, and yeah. and like no album, I my favorite Nine Inch Nails album is with Teeth, but no album need, makes me want to fucking shower and give up more than the downward spiral and yeah. it's almost yeah. like it's almost one i have to pick and choose my listens to it i can't because, listen to it all the time but i have to yeah. listen to this you know once every two or three months i sit down with it and like like i was saying it's the most important nine styles album to me but my favorite is with teeth because i can just whack on with teeth and i can have a bop around the place and yeah. i love it but, but but i will also say with teeth yeah right where it belongs fucks me up just as much yeah. as anything on the yeah, downward yeah. spiral yeah. does bro let's let let's yeah. not let's not pretend with no. teeth is all bops and good no. times no. by the but, time you get but, to right where it belongs it's like just open up the earth and take me please like and i just just in case anyone i haven't made it clear the reason i've included it on the most scary albums is is because i find i think like in the way that David Diggs is playing a character, this is all too real, you know? Like obviously yeah. there's some character play going on here in, in the performances, yeah. but like, I mean, it's all too real. The devastation, the sonic intensity, the brutal, absolutely fucking hammering heft of some of the music on this. And you ally that to someone who is in a very, very dark place. That's why I think it's terrifying and that's why it's on here. But as I said, we are going to do uh, For the Record Essential on the Downward Spiral at some point and that's going to be just amazing. I can't wait. Um, I honestly, I, I have to hand over to you, man, because I'm going to break down crying here if we don't if we don't move on from the Downward Spiral. Well, as, as glad as I am that you picked the Downward Spiral because it's fucking... It's terrifying masterpiece and this definitely deserves to be in the Halloween for the record top three. But my number one is <laughs> my number one is also an album by a heroin adult genius in the darkest period of his life. Okay. Uh, 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 so, yeah, my number one is by an artist 
whose name is Sam Ray, and he's gone by numerous aliases and projects. Uh, Teen Suicide would be the most prevalent and popular name that he's used. He's used Julia Brown, uh, Ricky Eat Acid, and American Pleasure Club, which he Teen Suicide is his primary project, and then he didn't like the name when he got older and he switched the name to American Pleasure Club and he did two albums as American Pleasure Club and then he decided to revert back to Teen Suicide because he just thought, who gives a fuck? So his, he's very much, you can kind of, I guess you boil him down to an, an indie bedroom pop kind of artist. He like record, everything is lo-fi, self-recorded, you know, Salvia Platt, Alex, early Alex G kind of style, very much. He's on run. He's signed to run for Cover Records, so okay. that kind of ilk. And but what's really unique about him is that, like I said earlier, he's got a project called Ricky Eat Acid, which is like ambient house and shit. So he's very much inspired by myriad influences, you know. And like, there's a great Teen Suicide album. Uh, I have it on vinyl. It's called "It's the Big Joyous Celebration." Let's stir the honey pot, and that came out in 2016. And that was like Teen Suicide got their start in like 2010 2011 2012 put out a couple of mixtapes and self-produced albums got a really big cult following online and then after 2012 2012 was like their really big cult classic which was called i will be my own hell because there is a devil inside my body and yeah and that that album is all about his like heroin addiction and how off his fucking face he is and his life's going nowhere and and then Teen Suicide disappeared. They broke up. They disbanded. Because like it was, it's just Sam Ray. And then when he plays live, he gets a full band together. So have you mentioned the album that's your number one yet? No. Or, no, no, no. Oh, okay. I'm, okay, I'm okay. setting, I'm this setting the This is the preamble. Scene. Cool. Yes. Awesome. So like I said, everything is, self, is self-written and self-produced and recorded. And then when he plays live, he gets session members in. So after, but 2012, after I Will Be My Own Hell, he decided to kind of, shut down the project and then 2016 rolls around four year gap and he signed to run for cover and run for cover are reissuing the first album and the ep and the demo and they're putting out the new album and that's the album that that was the album that got me into them uh, it's the big joyous celebration let's stir the honey pot and that is literally like if you open the gatefold of the album it says something like uh an ode to heroin addiction withdrawal and grocery shopping and the album is about and this isn't my pick but this is an <laughs> album but th- this was an album that's about 66 minutes and it ranges from the gentlest of indie pop to like harsh noise and punk and it's it's brilliant and and the album is very much that album very much catalogs him going through his heroin addiction and withdrawal and losing friends to heroin and then getting his music rediscovered by Run For Cover. And they offered him a record deal. And he like said it to his mom because he was living with his mom. And she said, only if you can get clean. And he got clean and like, you know, I read an interview just as the album was coming out and he was living with his mom still. And now he's married and like life's all good. And he's, he's proper, he's been clean for years. But there's like songs on that album, you know, like there's a song called Drug uh, Neighborhood Drug Dealer and it's about like them buying drugs from their friend and then their friend gets arrested and goes to jail. 
So then they just start buying the drugs from his dad, who he was selling the drugs for. And, you know, he's like a line. He's like, yeah, we keep going back, buying drugs from Taylor's dad. And and then there's there's a song. One of my favorite songs in the album is this lovely pavement, smooth kind of indie, like jagged, slow core kind of song. And the line is, uh, my dealer bought a car. Now he comes over to my house. He tried to buy my car, but I told him no. So he bought a different car. Now he comes over to my house. Now I don't need my car anymore. <sighs> yeah. So anyway, that album completely gets Teen Suicide like really on the map and loads of articles about them. That's how I got into them. Went back, listened to the earlier albums, thought, wow, th- these guys are really dynamic and great and these songs really like are eye-opening about heroin addiction. And and then two years later in 2018, they changed the name from Teen Suicide to American Pleasure Club. And they put out an album called A Whole Fucking Lifetime of This. And that's a great album as well. Continues. Still not the, your number one. No, it's coming. It's coming. It's really close. So in 2018, A Whole Fucking Lifetime of This comes mm-hmm. out. Continues the, the really lovely indie lo-fi with kind of sonic experimentations of the the comeback teen suicide album then we arrive in 2019 just a year later at american pleasure club fucking bliss and everyone goes including myself whoa they have another album coming like barely a year after a whole fucking lifetime of this that's cool but i didn't realize you know he was working writing that quickly and then he released a statement saying this album that's coming out this year in 2019 was written and recorded in 2015 before the Teen Suicide comeback album that signed me to run for cover and led to me changing the name to American Pleasure Club and has got me all these new fans. And he says, this album was written and recorded in 2015 while I was going through withdrawal. And he said that I didn't want to ever look at it or listen to it again. And he says, and I put it away. I hid it on myself. And he says, and now, four years later, two fucking full lengths for run for cover down, touring, healthy, off the gear. I feel in a place to release this record. He says, it's nothing like what I usually do, yada, yada, yada. So anyway, American Pleasure Club fucking bliss is about 23 minutes of field recording, harsh noise, ambient drone sprinkling like the slightest sprinkling of like emo trap dream pop and it is one of the scariest things I have ever listened to in my entire life like there's a reason it's only eight tracks in about 23 minutes because to be any longer would be just it would be insufferable Uh, but there is such a fractured, delicate beauty in this record. And the reason I gave such a big preamble is, for the most part, people know Teen Suicide slash American Pleasure Club as lo-fi indie with a little bit of distortion here and there and the odd kind of electro, electro kind of sound. But the uh, but fucking Bliss is, it, like, it goes toe-to-toe. There's some parts on the album that go toe-to-toe with fucking Merzbo for insufferable fucking the power drill fucking insanity like, and just, but it's not all that it's like like the opening track the miserable vision is like all this piano loop and these like 
really hush orchestral vocals and him singing really despondently and it keeps building and then this kind of like almost hip-hop keeps coming in and it never goes anywhere and then at the end when it comes in it just turns into this merciful nightmare drill and there's like a song on this record it's, it's probably the scariest song i can think of it's called ban this book and I, I, my interpretation is that it's about him waiting on a street corner to get heroin and all it is is it's the sound of like an alleyway and these like like this really faint industrial kind of percussion tapping and you can just hear cars going by and he his voice is all echoed and whispered and all he keeps saying is uh, uh, red sky at night I comb my hair red sky at night I comb my hair ban this book and then like and then the fucking Marsball power drills come back and it and he really just he and then he mentions like car pull up light flash I comb my hair red sky at night and it doesn't but and you can you can almost see him underneath a red lamplight in an alleyway combing his hair trying to look like he's doing something waiting to score gear and by the time you kind of get to the second last track dragged around the lawn that's the only track that has any bit of a, like a resemblance to the normal teen suicide in American Pleasure Club where you can actually hear him really singing. And again, it's drowned in this vocoder effect. And that's why it almost has this emo trap feel to it. But it's, and it's the only, and he kind of takes the little lyrical motifs of the album and puts them together. But, you know, he keeps saying, you know, uh, I'm, I'm dragging the stars in my jaw. Uh, here comes the fucking bliss. And that's the, the way the album's called fucking bliss. Like keep that, that motif keeps coming back up. You know, that everything is, it's that's, that's what heroin is. It's fucking bliss. And, and it's everything to get to that fucking bliss. And there's like another track where he says, I think it's on hello, grace, you know, it's like nothing, nothing fucking bliss. And it's kind of the, it, it's just, and it really, like you really hear, the sound like we're talking about with the downward spiral you hear like like he said when he recorded this album he genuinely like he thought he was going to die because just because of like the withdrawals he was going through so he was just in his room with his laptop and his instruments programming noises and writing these shaky lyrics these minimal lyrics and just it's literally his sonic expression of the, the of the fucking withdrawals he was going through and this was before even though it came out in 2019 it was written and recorded in 2015 so it's before he was signed to run for cover before he got clean before he knew he was going to have this whole lease on life meet his wife all that and it's you can hear him like genuinely like terrified of his own illness and addiction and 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 his own absolute disgust with the patterns of behavior and like i said he's hyper lyrical and like and very clever and witty and when he's talking about his heroin addiction and the other kind of projects but on this the lyrics are so abstract and minimal and but really speak volumes of like the self-loathing and like the almost kind of the disgust and like unrecognizable nature of how he feels about himself and it's like and like i said it's like a it's like a, a, a melting pot of like ambient drone harsh noise field recording and the slightest glimmers of like emo and folk but like i said at eight minutes and 23 seconds it's probably one of the shortest records i have mentioned on this whole podcast but 
I have it on vinyl. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's a fucking ordeal. Mm. It's one of those things that when it's over, you feel like you've been lost for hours and yeah. you realize you won't even, you haven't even been there half an hour listening to it. But I, I over mayhem, De Mysteries, Dom Satanis, over ad nauseum, imperative and perceptible impulse. I hold American Pleasure Club fucking bliss as one of the most criminally underrated, overlooked, scary albums that can be found by and you know there's no image there's no fucking you know like sam ray is just this skinny dude with glasses who's, who mouths off a bit too much online sometimes and he, he, the darkness and the horror that he was going through when he wrote and recorded this he distilled it he just it's like a proper like this is going to sound so pretentious but like that whole thing of like capturing like a fucking demon like it it's like he the sound of him expelling like the heroin addiction and the all the shit and the loss of his friends and everything that was kind of like dictating and destroying his life that he it's it's the sonic embodiment of all of that pain and anguish and it's like him letting go of it and when you listen to it you can really understand why when it was done he he shelved it he was like i don't want to ever fucking even acknowledge that thing again and then when three albums later like or two albums later on run for cover he kind of found himself ready and in a place where he could actually look at it and give it to people as an as an art piece and it still to this day scares the living piss out of me and it it had to be my number one halloween pick so if you want 23 24 minutes of an emo indie pop kid writing the darkest industrial heroin noise you've ever heard American Pleasure Club, fucking bliss, my number one Halloween pick. Um, that sounds fucking terrifying, my friend. Um, I've <laughs> I've I've never heard it. Um, I'm I'm definitely gonna check it out though. Uh, it's interesting as well that we you had the the heroin link, you know, between the my number my number two and your number one and stuff. Um, yeah, and you can. I don't. I don't even know. I can't even think of a witty segue to my number one. Um, ah! I just can't uh, because uh, my number one is the album that has affected me more than any other album I have ever heard. Um, to the point that I have listened to it fully four times. Um, it is the scariest, most horrifying, unbelievable voice of a survivor of domestic abuse. My number one is Caligula by Lingua Ignota. Um, Lingua Ignota is a kind of a multi-instrumentalist. She's classically trained pianist I think and um, she's a composer and a vocalist and her real name is Kristen Hater um, and she released this album Caligula in 2019 um, to quite a bit of fanfare I'd say I mean a lot of the the kind of podcasts and blogs and you know people you'd kind of music key people I'd, I'd keep track of they all talked about it and um Despite hearing several reviews and reading several posts about it, I was not ready for Caligula and its content. 
I I will never be ready for it. Uh, I I can't. I listened to this album again today for the, like I said, probably the fourth or fifth time in my life. I I just can't deal with it, man. It's I find it so troubling. I find it so harrowing, upsetting. And I find it terrifying because it's about a real situation. Like, I always find that the scariest things are the real things. You know, like real scary movies, like where it's like fantasy scary. They're escapes from reality, you know. But when you're confronted with something real, there's no escape. And you're like, oh, fuck, there are people in the world who could do this to other people. And yeah, um, <laughs> I, I I don't even know where to where to start with it. I mean, do you start with the with the cover, which is just the picture of her with the ver- the real tattoo Caligula written across her chest? Do you do you, do you talk about the implications of Caligula, the Roman emperor who was notorious for his like abuse, his sadism, his sexual deviancy, his extravagance and opulence? Uh, his tyrannical reign. Uh, do you talk about the song titles? Faithful servant, friend of Christ. Do you doubt me, traitor? May failure be your noose. If the poison won't take you, my dogs will. Sorrow, sorrow, sorrow. Spite alone holds me aloft. And uh, the finale of I am the beast. Um, like, there's so much to get into on this record. Uh, so much to talk about. And all of it is as terrifying as the last part of it. I mean, some of the heavier parts of this album, musically, are made all the more terrifying by the more soft and fragile parts, which are also terrifying because she's singing and crooning to Satan, 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 get beside me, you know, to be empowered by Satan. Um following it up with I don't eat I don't sleep I don't eat I don't sleep I don't eat I don't sleep I don't eat I let it consume me how do I break you before you break me and you're just like Jesus like what the fuck are we even talking about like you know what I mean it's like one of the songs uh, May Failure Be Your Noose it opens with who will love you if I don't who will fuck you if I want who will love you if I don't? Who will fuck you if I want? May failure be a garment to wrap around you. May failure be a belt to which to gird you. May failure be a noose with which to hang you. Like. Uh, happy Halloween, folks. Happy Halloween, man. Uh, I think that what Lingua Ignota, what Kristen Hader has done on this record is give a voice to people who have survived abusive relationships and she has I think vocalized the real dark thoughts that you would have as someone who is subjected to real evil you know um you the real anger the real hatred the real the real like thirst for vengeance and because it's real this is not like it's wrapped up in a in quite a dramatic performance. I I will say it's quite theatrical at points. The music is avant garde, instrumental, jazz, baroque, 
kind of opera-ish music. Like chamber, post-folk, all that pretentious yeah, there's kind of folk, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. There's um there's part of one of the songs where she just kind of crashes a lot of percussion instruments off each other and it's this cacophony of noise and a wall of sound. She's um, not like a million miles away from like Chelsea Wolf. Uh but, it's a, but I think she's sonically more interesting than Chelsea Wolf. And I think there's a kind of um there's almost an identifiable genre with Chelsea Wolf, you know, where there isn't so much with Lingua Ignata for me. I think, yeah, I know. I totally get that. I think her closest peer, not a peer because they're from a different time, but I think the closest artist to her might be someone like Diamanda Gallas, someone along those lines. Uh, That's funny, sorry, because I almost uh, mentioned, I was almost going to put the new the Amanda Gallus album in the list, Broken Gargoyles. Yeah, that that that's a quick honorable mention for you as well. That that thing is that's probably one of the scariest albums that's come out this year. That thing is fucking nightmarish. It's only it's, two tracks. It's between that and, and Chapile, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah that, I I listened to the Amanda Gallus album today, the new one, Broken Gargoyles, and again, like genuinely th- thought I'd need to go fucking home from work by the yeah. time it was finished. Man, harrowing shit. Harrowing, but, but and, there is definitely a correlation between her less is intense, like avant noise material and lingua ignota. Definitely, I think so. Um, of all of like the lyrics and everything, um, like even the title, if my if the poison won't take you, my dogs will, which in the song is delivered, like if the poison won't take you, my dogs will, like it's. It's a lot. Like, uh, I think the the scariest, saddest, most upsetting lyric is ah man. So, like I said, a lot of this is about domestic abuse or and a relationship that has gone incredibly toxic and incredibly damaging. And there is a lyric in it in um fragrant fragrant is my many flowered crown that says, "What will you say of the bond we had, tender comrade?" For I have learned that all men are brothers and brothers only love each other. And you're just like... Wow. Like that whole idea that men cover up for other men and men don't believe women when... You know, like... Yeah. She she manages to sum all of that horrendous idea that women aren't being listened to about the abuse they're suffering because men stick together basically and she man- manages to sum it up in a couple of sentences and yeah um I, I again I just think that there is an undeniable objective brilliance to this album in that all the greatest art should move and disturb you and Caligula does both of those things to me it um it's frightening it's intense. It's really, really upsetting. Um, again, not to get too personal, but I was in a I was in a relationship that wasn't good. Like it was, it was toxic to use that word that I I don't really like in the modern sense. But you know, no, we just, I, I try to avoid. You know what I mean? It's 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 come become a bit trite almost. But you know, you I just was in a relationship where we weren't good for each other, and you know, she would have said a lot of hurtful things, and. This album makes me like brings me back there 
almost. And I would never even have been subjected to a fraction of what Kristen Hader has gone through. I would never even claim to have any idea what she has gone through. But um, I just think that it is... It is just... It's a monumental... Um, kind of encapsulation of a survivor using music as a cathartic way to express her trauma. Um, it's 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 amazing and it's terrifying, and it scares the absolute shit out of me because it always reminds me that there is real evil in the world, and unfortunately, this is not the only abusive relationship. Kristen Hater has been in. Um, no, it's it's, it's quite. I was yeah, thinking yeah, like it's it's a bit you know. fucked up to mention, but you know we in our dishonorable mentions we we talked about daughters. Yeah. You won't get what you want, and yeah. we said you know it's kind of hard to back that album, even though it is a terrifying masterpiece because the fucking lead vocalist Alexis Marshall wound up in a relationship with Linguing Inoda after the release of Caligula, and ended up just being another fucking piece of shit that lets the side down and made and like I don't even want to go into any of that because it was so fucking horrible but yeah. her latest album that came out this year was it last year Sinner yeah. Get Ready Sinner Get Ready yeah last yeah, year and, it, and it's almost a fucking and you know people can be snide or whatever the fuck but it's it's beyond fucked up that Lingua Ignota wrote and released Caligula and like got so much respect and adoration for her peers for her art and for her bravery yeah. And then for someone she saw as a peer and an artistic equal to enter into a relationship with him and then for him to basically treat her the exact same way that she was treated uh, that inspired Caligula. She almost had to write a sequel to Caligula yeah. to, to espouse the fucking shit that Alexis Marshall put her through. And unfortunately, that is really the reason. As as well as, like, I, I don't know if I've stressed it enough because I feel like, again, that kind of emotional resonance of this album like but I mean her performance on this record is amazing amazing like her vocally she's incredible and when she gets when she lets out screams they come from the very pit of her soul like yeah. they are from the darkest parts of, of her herself you know and uh, this feels to me every time I listen to it those rare occasions I've listened to it it just feels to me like an album that she had to make she had to get this stuff off of her chest. And I just think, I think it's incredible. Um, and it scares the fucking shit out of me. Um, which is, it, it. I don't know what that says about me or what it says about my take on the world, but, you know, you try and think about things in a positive light for most of the time and then you get confronted with something like Caligula and you realise, yeah, not everything is the way you think it is, buddy, you know. Um, so that's my number one. So, to to recap, mental health uh, patients screaming over harsh noise, black metal. Yeah. Heroin addiction. Yeah. Sex addiction. More heroin addiction. Yeah. Domestic yeah. abuse. Serial killers. <laughs> Serial killers. Lovecraftian cosmic horror. Uh, utter hatred for humanity and believing that man is the worst thing to ever happen to Earth. M misanthropy nihilism 
I'm pretty sure we've covered every single Halloween adjacent fucking topic we can mention today. I think so. Uh, so for the Halloween special, I think we've done a good job. I don't think we've brought any enjoyment to, to our listeners' lives if they check out no. any of these records. Um, no, these, these uh, like I said, some of these albums are literally more like experiments. Experiments. And yeah. they're things that like I don't fucking advise you to listen to in mm. full some some of them i've only done once some of them i fucking have never done but like yeah it's more just to actually just to know that these mad experimental mm. projects are out there and if you're intrigued enough to check them out be my guest but like i am not sitting down and listening to stalag project misanthropy <laughs> like no. in full fuck that but a lot of the albums that i have mentioned are really excellent pieces of work and excellent records in, mm-hmm. in their own right if you're willing to take the journey it's the same way you know some night you watch fucking Saw and then another night you watch Requiem for a Dream and exactly, then the next yeah. night and then the next night you watch uh, the, a Futurama marathon and you know and that and that's it if if yeah. if you're if you're feeling like you got the predilection to ch- check out something a bit darker a bit more harrowing a bit unsettling if you're in the mood for a horror for the ears if you're in the mood for a musical horror i'm pretty sure we've 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 dropped a bunch of different recommendations your way for the Halloween season. Speaking of a horror for the ears, next week we're going to be reviewing the new Architects album. Hi, <laughs> uh, Well, that isn't that isn't strictly true either. But uh, yeah, next week we are going to be reviewing the Architects album. I just wanted to kind of get that segue singer. in there. Have yeah, and, uh, yeah, I don't you know that it'll be a nice feel good one because like. I I I spent the last two days like yourself revisiting some of the fucking most depressing and depraved yeah. and unsettling albums that I know, and and then looked into ones that I had forgotten about, and now after talking about all of them ad nauseum pun intended, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have like, yeah I can't wait to like fucking like finish recording this and go watch like a twisted horror film to decompress. And I I'm literally albums. I'm loading up Barbarian as we speak. Oh, I need to check that shit out. Actually. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it. I don't know anything about it. But um, no, you know, it's going to be fun though as well for music. I'm fucking, man, I'm trying on that new Regulate album or something. I just want something fun and awesome and not life destroying, you know. Yes. Um, even I'm though that gets pretty heavy as well. So yeah, maybe that it might does. not be the best I'm, choice. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think I might just go listen to more Blink-182 and like <laughs> the gig is next week and not fucking yeah. next year. I'm going to celebrate my Paramore ticket with, by fucking whacking on Misery Business for a hundred times in a row. Yeah, um, it cleanse the soul, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, so th- there you have it. There's like six and plus a load more recommendations. A shift ton of dishorrible mentions. Of utterly horrible music. Um we hope you've enjoyed this episode. It's been a lot of fun to do, actually. And we, we went on a bit. And it's going to... I'm terrified of how long this edit is going to take me. But um, it's going to be worth it. part of this episode, for <laughs> Yeah, the scariest <laughs> thing about this is the edit. But um, we will see you next week for Architects Review. Architects. Yeah. Tune in, dear listener. Enjoy the fuck out of Halloween. Enjoy Halloween. Get spooky, bitches. And... Um, let we'll, us know if you actually check out anything that we've recommended and if you found any of it spooky or we were just talking shice. Or if you want to recommend other shit that we might not have mentioned or touched upon. Yes. Uh, definitely. Um, I'm looking um, for Halloween Rex. You know, I, I'm pretty worn out by now, but, you know, Halloween is Monday, so I'm going to celebrate it Saturday because, you know, I, I can be hungover Sunday. That's so how he does. That's how he that's rolls. That's how I so. do. 
So, yeah, if you've got anything spooky to recommend, let a boy know. For sure. You can contact us for the record pod, Facebook and Instagram and all that jazz. Thank you, as always, for listening. This has been not a usual laugh riot that we have here on For The Record, but it has been it has been something. It's been something. We should have thought about that, that like us yeah. talking for hours about really depressing albums like wouldn't have much singers in there. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. Like, nah. It wouldn't. But um, yeah, my name is Tierney. Music is the best. <laughs> I'm Buggy. Music's the best sometimes. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>